Hello and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast number 233. My name is John. With me today is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hello. Good afternoon. Ryan, I got a new uh, toy. Do you want to see it? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. What's, it's what's a, it's an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi, remember uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like a retro collection, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Oh, yeah. That's it's cool, right? Single. Oh, there he is. And good, uh, good, uh, good lightsaber there. I like that single uh, yeah. color. Yeah. 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 Um, nice. I, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show or not, but there's been a little bit of a renaissance with Target having Star Wars toys lately. So it's been kind of fun to like go to Target and be like, oh, there's a there's a little Star Wars figure that I want that's in stock. And I didn't have to pre-order it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's been cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I didn't, yeah. You didn't have to wait a year and a half to get it. That's also good. Yeah, that's another good thing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, yep. you you just like go you you buy the thing from the store and then you have it. So yeah. it's a wild concept. Yeah. Now it costs twelve ninety nine every time I buy it, but you know, which is an interesting price. Yeah, that figure. But yeah, yeah. Uh, in, inflation, I guess. That's the only possible answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Have you bought any new Star Wars things lately, Ryan? Have you bought any Star Wars stuff? Uh, any Star really, Wars man. stuff. I mean, I bought one of the new comics and oh, yeah. that's it. I'm uh, I'm still waiting, actually. I had pre-ordered the Art of Star Wars Visions and mm. that keeps getting delayed and pushed back. Um, but that was supposed to ship in like October. Okay. Um, so... And the art of the High Republic is either just came out or oh, yeah. out any day, right? So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are two books that I don't have yet, but I will probably buy both of those. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually bought, uh, now that I think of it, since the last time I record, I finally bought the iPad edition of The Making of Return of the Jedi. Um, mm. Yeah, I read the iPad editions of Making of Star Wars and Empire. They're great. And um, they're about twenty bucks. And then the other day, I saw that the making of Return of the Jedi was eight ninety nine. So, oh wow, um, had to, had to jump on that. Yeah. So or maybe it was seven ninety nine. I don't know. It was cheap. So, just started reading that, and that's pretty cool. Nice. Um. Nice. So yeah, that's the stuff we've spent money on in Star Wars lately. Um. Why don't we talk about what the structure for the rest of the show is going to be? Which is, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a two parter, Ryan. I think we call it a two parter uh podcast yeah 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 because we're going to talk about andor episode nine nobody's listening and um which could also be Mm. a subtitle for our podcast but we're going to talk about that um episode and then it was (laughs) yeah we actually got that show stack bump on the uh, most recent episode but anyway um Ah. so yeah we're going to talk about um and or episode nine, nobody's listening. And then we are going to finally come back around and talk about the Hollywood reporter story about a Damon Lindelof star Wars movie in the works. I think that story yeah. broke about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. Like two weeks ago, but you know, I think the benefit of, uh, you know, us, us holding back and waiting a bit, um, to talk about it is, uh, no one has come out and said, that's false. Um, which sometimes some, you know, sometimes they, they don't comment on rumors like that, but then sometimes they're like, Oh boy, this was running in the Hollywood reporter. We need to 
come out and say something if it's like not actually happening. So yeah, um, I don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because as far as I know, nothing's really developed with this um, that I've no. seen since. So yeah, it also okay. hasn't been like officially confirmed either. But oh, certainly not. No, yeah. Um, okay, well, that's coming up. We're gonna kick mm. things off mm-hmm. here with our discussion of um, Andor episode nine. Nobody's listening. And, um, you know, as always, Ryan, I woke up super early in the morning and watched it on Wednesday. I know you watched it uh, Wednesday morning as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a fantastic episode that ended on a really strong point. Um, so yeah. it's been tough. Yeah. It's been tough waiting for for the uh, for the next episode to come around um, this week. But uh, yeah, um, I feel like you know, I always want to start off our discussions of these and or episodes by saying like sort of what's, what's your overall thoughts. But then I also feel repetitive because my overall thought every week is like, wow, that whipped ass. It It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Like it's, it's so funny because like, I am just like, I'm part of me is just conditioned to like, and this is with any media that I've ever enjoyed, whether it be like bands putting out albums or, you know, movie series or TV shows or comics or video games or whatever. Like when something is like so good consistently, I'm always just, I've been conditioned to be like, okay, when does it get bad? when is the bad episode? When is the bad album? Like when is, when is the bad sequel? Um, and you know, I'm, I'm always like braced for that with Andor and it has not happened. It is just such a consistent level of high quality that I am just not used to in, in even my favorite media ever like i am just not used to this what you're describing is the uh, phenomenon of watching the first um season of the mandalorian and then coming to that episode with toro calican you know um <laughs> that's yeah. what you're describing yeah and we've all I mean, been it, there. it always happens and then you know like we saw that episode and we're like eh, that was a bit stinky but yeah. uh you know, whatever, then you just roll with it and you're like, hopefully the next one's better. And then you're like, yeah, the next episode was better. Cool. But like, yeah, the, it just hasn't happened with, um, with Andor. Like, no, not at all. The closest it's come is maybe for me is the seventh episode. And by the closest it's come, I mean, like I enjoyed that one ever so slightly less than all the other ones. Like mm-hmm. it was like just slightly less fulfilling, um, but I still thought it was like, you know, amazing. And it's just like, it's just, it was one of those episodes that was a little bit of a, I don't know. It was great, but it was just like a, a little bit of a one-off sort of thing as much as an episode of this show could be a kind of a one-off sort of thing. Yeah. You know I mean, after yeah. two, it basically it followed two three-part arcs that were mm-hmm. really, you know, um, fulfilling. And so it was a bit of a tweener episode, but you know, with the show when you, when they do a tweener episode, it's still like wildly compelling art. So it was still Mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's dig into this. Uh, Ryan, did you take notes while watching it all? Or are we going to go? I, I did not like some days, you know, sometimes at five in the morning, I'm up for watching star Wars and taking notes on it. Other days I'm like, I am just going to sip my coffee and take it in. And that was, uh, that was the kind of Wednesday it was last week. 
Um, I yeah. did not take notes. I did not rewatch the episode. So I'm just going to be going off of uh, latent vibes that exist. Okay. Yeah, I don't take notes while I watch it the first time either. Um, I did sneak in a second viewing this morning, and so I took notes while watching it um, for the second time this morning. So why don't we go um, kind of maybe by that a little bit, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can bring up yeah. whatever. whatever. Uh, I sort of grouped them by um, characters and or locations. So I have notes on Ferrex and what's going on there, notes on what's happening in Rakina 5, the prison. I have notes about what's going on with Mon Mothma and notes about what's going on with Cyril and Deidre. So, um, which I'm interested in talking about, but why don't we start by (laughs) discussing what's going on with, uh, in Ferrix. I think that's kind of like the, 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 the most obvious link from the previous episode, I guess the prison too, but I think it opens up with the, the Ferrix situation and, um, at five o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, it, it, shocked and surprised me the uh the the stuff that happens on ferrix especially um early on and um yeah the the kind of the big takeaway from the first part of the episode in that location is the interrogation and torture uh i would say of Mm -hmm. um bix by um deidre so yeah uh what did you how did you kind of handle that scene or take that scene or interpret you know that like how did that hit you on wednesday morning um at the crack of dawn ryan yeah uh it's definitely an intense way to start the day um for sure uh i think there was like an element of like i mean i guess like thriller is a term that gets uh tossed around a lot um with this series but like somewhere between horror and thriller um yeah in that part especially with just like how unsettling that doctor was um he was a creepy gross creep he was so creepy yeah he had this like weird smile on his face and he was like yeah his tone was nasty yeah yeah it's just uh extremely unsettling but also like it felt believable like the scene felt like very raw and real like yep i could picture the empire doing this like Mm. and people acting this way um so yeah that it was uh just in an incredibly like it's not the most like fun scene in the world but um incredibly effective i'd say yeah i thought so too i thought that um you know, they really built up uh, the tension in that scene. Um, it was, you know, like Deidre was super uh, scary and super, you know, kind of cruel to Bix. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think one thing I keep hearing over and over um, about this show is that people sort of want to root for Deidre a little bit just because, like, we do kind of follow that character quite a bit. And mm. um, she's really clever and uh you know there's times where she's obviously the smartest person in the room and Mm -hmm. um kind of having to fight her way up the ranks within the isb so there's a lot there for i think people to like kind of i don't want to say relate to but i guess at least you know kind of root for or whatever and um yeah there are definitely a lot of deidre fans out there uh, which again i think is is understandable um but in this 
uh, scene, I was like, oh, she's bad. She's evil. She's so mean. She's so cruel, (laughs) you know? And so I think she really came into her own as a villain in, um, the scene because she was so intense and, um, yeah, as it built, um, as it built, you know, I was like, I, I had a, Okay, so I'm watching this. I, I watch with AirPods on in bed. I just like wake up, my alarm goes off. I just grab the iPad uh, off of the nightstand, put the AirPods in, and start watching. Right, that's that's my routine. Mm-hmm. So okay. I'm just laying there in bed, and um, you know, uh, like as it's building to uh, Bix hearing the sound in that you know headset or whatever they put on her. Um, mm-hmm. the sound of a species, the genocide of a species and the cries of the dying pangs and cries of children of that species, uh-huh. uh, which is such a horrifying description of, of what was happening. Um, yeah. All the sound in the scene kind of cuts out, right? Like they cut all the sound out and yep. um, it's super quiet except for maybe like Bix's like breathing or, you know, whimpers or whatever. And then I keep thinking like I was like, freaking out like almost in a horror movie when i want to like look away from a kill that's going to happen or something i was Uh like freaking out and i turned the volume down on my ipad because i was nervous that the sound was going to be like really horrifying and would be like super loud and because they cut all the sound out you know i was like oh they're doing it like they're going to cut all the sound and then you know Mm -hmm. blast you with that sound um and so essentially what i'm trying to say here in a very long-winded way is that it elicited a like a major reaction for me and I was super, super tense and nervous and freaked out. Um, and then I think, you know, they made the right decision to not actually try to create whatever that sound would sound like, but instead, you know, we just see Bix's reaction to that sound. Yeah. We, we get her scream instead. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just that. Yeah. That, that was like a really tense build and like it did really almost feel like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other things from that scene and from Ferrix, uh, we learned that um, Salmon Park, which is, I guess, the guy that was running that, like every time Bix was like, oh, hey, I got to go to the back room to look for a part or whatever. She was mm-hmm. telling that guy that she was, you know, going to the radio to try to contact Luthen or whatever. Um, you know, we learned that he's going to be executed or at least that ISB or Imperial, maybe that guy's not ISB because he was wearing a black uniform. I'm not sure. But the one who asked, he asked Bix, or not Bix, um, asks Deidre if he can have permission to execute him. He's like, I'd love to see him hanged or something like that. And she's like, yeah, "Yeah, do what you want. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious to see if that happens. And if it does, um, if, you know, how that might play into what's going on with uh, Marva and Cassian. And since we know that that's what happened to Cassian's dad, um, you know, like he was very, uh, specific about what he wanted to do. And, you know, it was just an interesting choice to have that character ask Deidre, like, can I do this? Can I hang this guy? And she's like, yeah, you can. Cause then obviously it's building this expectation and anticipation in us, the audience. So I am very curious to see what they're going to do with that, you know, um, if that'll happen, if it does happen, how Marva or Cassian or both or others may react to it. So I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and uh, we also know that Deidre says, Bix, we need to keep her alive because she can identify Cassian. So, you know, she doesn't care what happens to Solomon Park, but um, 
you know, Bix is safe for now or going to be kept alive. Maybe safe isn't the right word when you're being tortured with that, you know, by that creepy doctor. Yeah. She will uh, be alive for now anyways, kept alive because she can identify Cassian. So, um, yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting to see the last two episodes, 11 and 12, if they are back on Ferex, I kind of feel like they will be, um, or at least a good portion of them. Uh, I think Cassian will return home here in the, uh, the final arc of the season, but it remains to be seen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well then, uh, why don't we move on to Narkina five, which is the prison of course, um, where Cassian and, uh, and a bunch of other prisoners are being held by the empire. Uh, obviously this is kind of the, the primary, the a plot, I guess is what we'd call it, right? The primary plot for <laughs> this arc of episodes. And, um, I think it, w- it was in the last episode, right? It, it, the last episode ended with kind of the prisoners that are with Cassian sort of, there was a rumor spreading something had happened in another part of the prison. Mm-hmm. I think, that was alluded to in the last episode. So anyway, this one kind of opens up with, um, that, uh, paranoia is not the right word. Cause it's true. Something really went down, but like the, everybody's kind of worked up. Yeah. You know what's going on there. They're signing across those tunnels and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and, uh, pretty quickly find out that something is definitely wrong. One thing that I noted as I watched it, uh, here for a second time is that Kino, I think his name is Kino. Um, the, the character played by, um, Andy circus, you know, Loy or something like that. Uh, every time I say it though, I'm like, well, that's the name of the pizza delivery guy and teenage mutant Ninja turtles to the secret of the ooze. Um, their buddy, you know, played by, uh, Ernie Reyes jr. Hmm. You don't remember that? No, I mean, I remember the, the, the pizza because he's like he's like a he's like a super kung fu dude right yeah 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 he's, he's, he's got some, some moves yeah. yeah yes yeah. yes 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 yeah okay okay i figured since you ordered so much anyways that you know maybe you where'd these come from those are, are mine yeah <laughs> i i i like to do a, a little chucking every now and then <sighs> Yeah, uh, I keep practicing. Uh, you know, on second thought, why don't I uh, take this pizza anyway? I mean, I can always use more. Let me get my wallet. No, 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 no. Th- yes, th- that's please. okay. No, don't worry about it. One last thing, though. I thought you might want to know about this. Ah! Oh, oh, you guys. Ah, 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 what's big guy? Can I hurt him? Please. Tell me I can hurt him. Stay Hold on, take it easy. Please. Well, the way you were no selling me there, I couldn't tell if you didn't like what part you didn't remember. If if like me mentioning no, I didn't remember secret of ooze was like what is the secret of the the ooze? You know, you just didn't remember. It's a solid sequel, is what. Yeah, I agree. Yes, like it's it's solid. It's not as good as the original, but it does have uh, Kevin Nash as Super Shredder. So it it does. Like I don't know, and it has Vanilla Ice as Vanilla Ice. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, controversially, they replaced April O'Neil with a, with a different April O'Neil in that movie, but um, Paige Turco replacing, I forget the actress's name in the first one, but 
In any case, Ryan, I think Andy Serkis's character in in, um, this arc of Andor is named Kino. And um, one thing I noted is that he does not want to, I'm sure everybody noted this, but he does not want to hear it. You know, like when there's (laughs) any talk of of something being wrong, um, he doesn't want to hear it, but it's not just like, hey, you guys get in line, like you're causing a problem, like Sam program or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. very much like, I think you can read it on his face that it's like, I know this is true, but I don't want to believe this is true. And the more you guys keep talking about it, the more I have to acknowledge it's true. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. that's very much where he's coming from. Yeah. I mean, well, and, you know, we get to see the result of all that in this in this episode. We get to, I mean, that's like his arc in this episode, basically. Um, even the, like the the way he came across in, you know, in his uh, debut, um, I think you start to see that facade crack a little bit or to see that there's like something deeper there. And then uh, that's the, the big payoff moment at the end of the episode. So of course. Yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. But I I don't know, like, I guess um, I'd have to go back and watch eight again, um, the eighth episode again, but I feel like, yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he was like pure evil or anything. Um, but I didn't get that much humanity from him necessarily in the first um, episode on the prison. You yeah. know, uh, he seemed very much like, you know, kind of like really was trying to work these guys to the bone because that was going to make things easier for him. And again, like he's a prisoner. Obviously, he's in the same uniform they are. Like he's, you know, kind of put in charge of this group of prisoners to, you know, kind of get the whatever perks come along with that and make his life in prison better. Um, so it's hard to, to view him as like, Oh my God, he's a monster, you know, cause he's just trying to survive this situation like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, I really felt like, um, yeah, much, much, much more going on in terms of developing this character as somebody who, you know, does kind of care about these other guys. Like when, when you have the, com- uh, there's the conversation where he and Cassian are both in their bunks um, which is where the title of the episode comes from. Nobody's listening. Um, Cassian mm-hmm. yells that at him at the end of that conversation, but he's like, yeah, we're not talking about this anymore. Like I'm not answering these questions, but in a way where like they, that conversation, they were almost having more as peers, you know, I felt like, and you never got in that first episode last week, um, within the prison. I just, I didn't really ever feel like you got so much of that kind of feeling that he does, that he can relate with these guys on a peer to peer level, you know, and care about them um, in that way. I don't know. It may be in there and I'm just not, this is how I'm remembering it, but definitely this week I felt like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm starting to understand this guy, you know, as a character a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously by the end of the episode, he's, you know, makes a pretty significant uh, decision and, and that, you know, develops him uh, a lot further. But uh, yeah, I just feel like from the beginning of this episode, um, there's this like uh, real fear in him, in his face and in his performance, you know, from Andy Circus that to me was screaming, like, stop talking about it. Cause if you talk about it and I have to think about it and I have to acknowledge it's true. Um, and of course, one of the truths that, you know, we kind of realized by the end of this episode is that none of these guys are getting out of here. Uh, um, at least it doesn't seem that way. Right. We know at least some of the, some of these guys don't get out of there because the whole thing is like, how many days do you have left? that's when you get to go home. That's when you're free. 
Um, and the big thing that happened on the other floor of this prison is that somebody was released when they had no days left. And then the very next day he was back in that same floor with that same group of prisoners. And that kind of blew the cover, the facade that like, when you get released, you get to go home. And because actually it seems like what they were doing, right. Tell me if I'm misinterpreting this, but what they're doing is just moving you somewhere else in that same prison and starting you over. Um, or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it could be like two things. Like I think the I think the implication from that uh from that um you know what they were saying is that like the guy who was supposed to be released, they just uh released him to another floor of yeah. the uh, um of the prison. But I think also it could be like, maybe he did get out and then they just like threw him right back in. Mm. Like, um, yeah, the, the confusing part, I guess for me is like, if, if it is the first scenario where they release you quote unquote, but really they just move you from one floor to another. Once you got mm-hmm. to that second floor, you'd be like, Hey guys, this is a scam, right? Like I was supposed to be released and I, and I wasn't. Um, yeah, so I don't know how that could really be the system. That's why. Well, like, cause I think the, the reaction of like the prisoners revolting, um, is like expected. Um, because like once you have no, no hope, like, yeah, you have nothing to lose and um and yeah you'd think that if that was the system like it would have happened sooner and like those revolts would have happened sooner but it could have been it could have been a single case basis um or it could have been like nope this is the new um this is the new system that we're using Be- no one gets out because we're, you know, cracking down, we're getting more authoritarian um, now because of all this stuff happening. Um, or it was just a situation where, like, they let the dude out and then he did whatever, nothing that gets you thrown into Imperial prison. And yeah. then people were like, wait, this guy, like, and, you know, this guy was just released and now he's like back here regardless of the reason like this is hopeless yeah i mean there there was a line from melchi i don't know if it was this week's episode or i think it was this week's episode but earlier like before we found out kind of exactly what happened with this other prisoner um there was a, a line from melchi where he tells cassian um don't even ever look at that number never look at that number you're here until they mm-hmm. don't want you anymore and so that you know kind of almost makes me think like do they just like kill these people when they're done with them? You know what I mean? Um, and, and this guy, they accidentally like, instead of killing him, just, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but, um, mm-hmm. well, actually what that makes me think is that they, you don't ever get out of there. You just get moved somewhere else, or maybe they move you from one prison to another or something. But basically like, even before we learned that this happened, um, Melchi seemed to believe like there's no getting out of here. You know, yeah. other prisoners seem to believe there's no getting out of here. Kino seemed to know in his heart of hearts that there's no getting out of there, but didn't seem to want to believe that, you know, because um, even when he's looking at uh, the character Olaf, the older gentleman who uh, has a stroke in this episode, even when he's talking to the medic, 
with Olaf, he's like, he's got 40 shifts left. Well, like we just want to get him on his feet and get him through those 40 shifts, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, well, if he doesn't, if he doesn't believe that, why is he, why would he say that? Like why he's either so he's either brainwashed himself, you know, obviously he's been brainwashed by the empire too, but he's either brainwashed himself so much that he is telling himself that like automatically and just, you know, sort of reciting that, you know, half believing it or, or he does believe it. You know, he believes that, that Olaf could actually get released and go home and, you know, he could actually get released and go home at some point. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure <laughs> what the truth yeah. is. I mean, I think, um, I, I, I think it's the intention of the show not to give us those answers and to put mm-hmm. us in the same sort of place of uncertainty that the prisoners are. And like, not I to like convey that feeling of just like not knowing your fate and like just knowing that like anything could happen to you, um, which again is just uh, really excellent and uh, bleak writing. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and it does seem like things are really uh, ramping up there as far as uh, the seeds of rebellion or whatever in that prison because the mm-hmm. medic, when he's working on Olaf, he's like, another week like this and you'll be begging for what he's getting um, to Kino and, and Cassian. I'm like, what does he mean mm-hmm. another week like this? And I think it's the fact that like everybody's starting to you know, um, push back and... I feel like that medic believes that maybe the empire uh, will just kill all these prisoners, dispose of all of these prisoners and start over. Um, Because if they think like there's too much, all this word going around that this guy didn't, you know, really get released and all that stuff. Like you're not going to be able to keep control of these people and keep Mm -hmm. them working and all that. And um, it makes me think that maybe like that's what it's building to is like a life or death situation where, you know, we either have to stage a prison break or escape or whatever, or they're just going to get rid of us anyways, because we're, you know, starting to know too much and cause too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's gotta be the kind of sense of that, um, around the prison. Like you, you see it with, um, Cassian and that other prisoner who are like, kind of have their little, uh, plot that, you know, they, uh, you know, are, are on the cusp of, um, and then like, it doesn't happen. And there's also like Cassian, when he like n- knocks out that, uh, part of the wall and mm-hmm. is gonna, gonna do something there. And then it's like, no, yeah, he's like cutting a pipe, right? He's yeah. Pipe. I assume that's a water pipe. I don't know like what the goal of cutting that pipe is, but yeah. And I think like, again, that's just like, it's it's really interesting storytelling because I think, you know, maybe a I don't I don't want to say lesser show, a different a different kind of show would be like, okay, we need to see the the genesis of this plot. We need to see two guys sitting here being like, we gotta break out of here. This is what yeah. we're going to do. Yeah. yeah first yeah. and like and go through it. But we just like see like okay, well, we know time is passing. We've had some indicators of how much time has passed, but like, you know, it's 
there there was that one like big time jump and of like 40 40 shifts or whatever and they like told us that but then from there we're just like kind of like guessing at the amount of time that's passed or passing and again i think that's I, th- I think that's intentional with like everything kind of like blurring together um, for for the prisoners and like losing that sense of time and that sense of the outside world. Um, but then also like we know things are happening in there, but like we're not privy to every single conversation that Andor's Havings, but then like you know these things these moments happen and you're like yeah that makes sense that he would have been uh you know plotting something um and you know initially um i think in the last episode i i felt like um because that last episode it just seems so hopeless um the idea of them actually staging a prison break like seemed ridiculous to me like that there was no way that was going to that that was going to happen and it was going to have to be like someone breaking them out um that seemed like the only option but you know i think uh now i'm i'm not so sure but you know there's so many like um because like yeah this episode builds to like okay i think they're going to try a prison break yeah um but also there's like the things that you mentioned about like okay where do they go if they you know get out of here um and there's like so many pieces of this plan that um i you i don't even know how they would like get past like the first hallway let alone out of the prison, let alone to somewhere else. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting next week. It w- yeah, it will be. It will be for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the biggest thing is like, obviously there's armed guards there and they're not armed. But then in addition to that, like that floor, that surface is deadly, you know, so they can just yeah. like, and kill them. And, you know, the the at some point somebody says like, oh, they fried the whole they fried, they fried the whole floor or whatever, you know, they, they killed, they just killed all those dudes who were on that same level as the guy who got put back where he was supposed to be. So, um, yeah, I don't know. There, there's a, there's a lot of logistical things that they're up against, <laughs> but you know, obviously Kino's final line here, um, Cassian, it's like how many guards and he's asked him a few times throughout the episode. I'm mm-hmm. not going to answer that. You know, I'm not going to answer that. How many guards never more than 12 or no more than 12, you know, um, was the, the response. And to me, that was like, that's a manageable number. You know what I mean? That was like, mm-hmm. obviously the, the, the key, you know, kind of thing or the importance of that line is like, okay, you know what, let's do this. Like I, yes, I want to participate in planning some kind of, escape from this place like that's mm-hmm. really what that line means but also i i kind of felt like no more than 12 you know like that's a number we can deal with like you know it wasn't like a thousand it wasn't <laughs> oh man there's so many it was it was no more than 12 like that's we can mm-hmm. we can deal um and i don't know what are there there's like six guys at a table right so there's got to be maybe 30 something prisoners at least on every floor so um 
yeah, we'll see. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what the, what the, what the you know, how it's going to play out. I, I know they're going to break out. I know a lot of those prisoners are going to die in the process of breaking out. <laughs> um, I know Cassian's going to get out of there. So, and Melchi. Melchi has to get out too. So, um, yeah. Very curious to see, see kind of, you know, what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Anything else on the prison component of the episode? Narkina 5. All right. Then um, why don't we talk about, let's talk about Cyril Karn and Deidre um, and that okay. conversation that they have. And then we'll wrap up by discussing Mon Mothma and Vale uh-huh. and that whole part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of the Cyril Karn uh, desperate, I don't know, would you call it desperate, manic um, <laughs> um, confrontations? Maybe not the right <sighs> word. Um uh, I don't know what he was doing in that scene. Um, but what did you, what was your interpretation of that scene, Ryan? Cause I think it's so weird and so interesting, especially yeah. in a star Wars TV show, especially in a star Wars TV show. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah I think? mean, it's, uh, there were like so many layers to it. There was like, um, you know, uh, questions of professionalism um and to lend a huge dichotomy between uh the two characters there um i think there well, not is... only professionalism but power right like power dynamics there oh yeah yeah um and then i think um like desperation obsession uh almost like creepy obsessive uh i don't think it's like romantic but like i think it is something there that i think is it was a feeling that is usually shown in media as like romance like someone being like obsessed um with like their attraction to someone. But here it's like, it was that feeling, but with like revenge and power. This is why I find it so interesting. And so Mm -hmm. weird is that I think like the sexual or like attraction, uh, subtext or, or element of it is there. And I think but I think that for both of these characters, I think his primary thing that he's drawn to is power, revenge, climbing the corporate ladder. I think power is probably the way to put it, right? It's power. And I think the thing that she's attracted to in this situation, even though, you know, like the way it plays out in this first scene between them is like, get away from me, you creep or whatever. Like I could have you fired or, you know, arrested just for like coming here and talking to me right now. Like that's Mm -hmm. what she presents. But I think there is an attraction there too, or at least I think I actually, I would say a curiosity from her. Yes. But I think Mm -hmm. it's not about like, Oh, this guy's kind of cute. Like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about it before. But now that I'm seeing him again, I think he's kind of, I don't think it's anything like that. And I don't even think for him, I don't even think it's like, Cause he says stuff to her. He's like, I needed to see you. And then at another point he says, just being in your presence reminds me. And I didn't get the whole line, but it's like, just being in your presence reminds me that there's beauty and justice in the world. I think that's what he said. And like, mm-hmm. that is such an interesting line. Cause it's like, he's like kind of putting the moves on her, but like, 
He's like, just being around you reminds me there's justice. Like I can get revenge on Cassian and I can like, we can control these people. Like, and, and anyway, I guess like what I'm trying to say is that I think this might be going in a weird, creepy place where maybe it's not even weird or creepy, but it's going in a place where like they are both primarily attracted to power mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they both kind of see in the other like, like we are interested in like similar things and like we have like both come into each other's like sphere of existence, like on the same trajectory or with similar goals in mind. And like also maybe like we could, you know, hook up too. like, but that's like such a secondary thing. And the first thing is like this power thing. And it's almost like I would never even have noticed you or thought about you or even cared about this at all. But because mm-hmm. we're like wrapped up in this power thing together, like maybe I'll allow myself to be kind of like attracted to you or whatever. And like as a secondary, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I feel like there's that tension there where I'm like, I think they're gonna hook up. I think they're going to, I think it's going to be like super unhealthy and all based in like an yeah. obsession with power. And like, they're not even going to know, like they're probably going to be mean to each other all the time, they're, but like, horrible. I think it's gonna, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's going to be <laughs> but, so toxic. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that might be where it's going. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more interesting if it does. I think it's more interesting if it does. If it's just this like super PG, like, you know, these two people are real power driven. And so we wrote a scene that's almost like a romantic scene, but all it is is about power. That would be fine. But I think if they dig into like a like a, a, a weird, unhealthy relationship between them, you know, with that as the entry point, I think that's going to be even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like both honestly okay. <laughs> like yeah. if if we're if we're adding like sexual overtones to like people's obsession with revenge and control i think that's like pretty interesting um mm. but also like there is a part of me that does kind of want to see where a like and I I keep using the term romantic, but I just mean that in like the terms of like them hooking up because I don't think it will be romantic at all. I think it will Mm. be like, you know, the, the furthest thing from that. Um, And that's like, part of me does kind of want to see that because I think it will be so interesting. And Again, just one more thing that we've never really seen explored in Star Wars, but, you know, it would make sense that that stuff like that would happen. Yeah. And and yeah. And I mean, like the performance. Well, uh, Cyril Karn, I think the actor's name is Kyle Solar Solar, right, is the, is the actor's name. He's he's fantastic. He's been fantastic. Adidra is fantastic too. In that performance, the entire time I was like, she is telling him repeatedly, I'm not into this, but I felt like I could read in that performance that she was super intrigued. You know what I mean? So she didn't say anything that would indicate she was intrigued, but I feel like she, and she didn't want him to think she was intrigued, but I felt like it came through pretty strong that she was like, well, this is new. I hadn't even thought about feeling or thinking about anything like this, but I'm intrigued now, you know? Um, so 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see for sure. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, the other thing with Cyril in this episode was his conversation with his mother, which was also very weird and unhealthy. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, of course it's over as always, it's over a children's breakfast and, um, uh-huh. she uh-huh. is trying to guilt trip him. She's talking about like, what if she had just let his neglect of her destroy her when he was on more Lana, you know, whatever, when he was away doing the, the other job and all that. And she's just guilting him, guilting him. And then he's like, so I got a promotion at work. And then she's just like, yes. Like she's so happy. Oh, uncle Harlow will be so proud. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think I, I love that scene. I thought it was so um, well done because to me, it just felt like he was listening to all of her guilt trip knowing full well the whole time that really all she cares about is how his performance is going to make her look. And as soon as he tells her, Oh, I'm doing, they like me at work. She's like super thrilled. And also what's he talking about? Cause I don't think he got a promotion at work. Right. (laughs) Is he talking about like, Oh, Deidre came to talk to me and she threatened to like have me fired. And that was my promotion at work. Is that what he's talking (laughs) about? (laughs) Uh, um, yeah, I mm, okay. So, yeah, you know what? Now, after we just had that conversation, now like his relationship with his mother adds like another like super uncomfortable layer to like what he may or may not be seeking from Deidre. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean the the sheer amount of baggage there like wow. I yeah. <laughs> now now I am thinking that maybe it will go in a more intimate direction or he will at least try to push things that way. Um and I, I don't know. I think, like right now, like I think you know she holds all the all the power, and but I do, and I think like right now he would um, be the one, like you know, being obsessed, being pursuing, hurt, yeah, pursuing all that. But then, what happens when I think? Potentially, he regains power, like, and she makes a slip up and, like, loses some status, or he, like, rises above her, and, like, whether that's this is part of, like, his the way he's acting could be part of, like, a bigger plan for him, or... I think there I think there is some, like, real authenticity to how he's acting and how he's feeling just from, like, what we've seen of him, like, even in private. Um, So I don't think it's, like, he's being totally, like, deceitful or anything and, like, has this all mapped out, but... Like, yeah, what happens when those power dynamics shift again um, to their relationship if if they do shift? I mean, who knows? 
but one of them's yeah. gonna and i feel like yeah if they do connect on a deeper level or on a more yeah um deeper seems like the wrong word because i feel like it won't be deep it'll be <laughs> i don't know but anyway yeah. if they do connect on that on that um sexual level then i think one of them ultimately is going to stab the other in the back at some point right so it's just like which which oh, one yeah. would do that first you know and who who would who would do that to the other and why and um yeah it certainly would uh, present some interesting possibilities um as far as the storytelling goes you know if they do kind of connect with one another um in that way so yeah yeah it is going to be uh fascinating to see how that plays out Okay, always fascinating, Ryan, is Mon Mothma. So let's talk about Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, let's Speaking talk about... unhealthy relationships. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Her husband is the absolute worst. Like, oh, he God. He just keeps know. getting worse. Like, gets, this he episode, worse. he's even worse. He is like, worse, yeah. how? Like... Well, yeah, how? Um, I mean, he's more... Um, more sexist or misogynistic in this episode than ever because Vale shows up. Right. And this, I think is so, um, interesting. I, I, I certainly didn't anticipate or call this in any way. Did you, that Vale was related to Mon Mothma from Chandrilla, all that stuff? No, no. And, but I mean, part of me also was again, like we've talked about before, like all good or bad, all these characters are liars. Like mm. everyone is dishonest in this show and, you know, you can be a hero and be dishonest. Um, and part of me is like, are they really related? Is that like, or yeah, is that so, another like. So Kevin yeah. and I were talking about that too. And I'm like, I think they have to be, I think they have to be because the, this would be a really long con if they're not, yeah. because she grew up, she got married like, so young. Like she got married at 15. Yeah. Like she's known all of these people, all the people in the room, she's known her whole life almost. You know what I mean? So if, if Val was like, you know, not from Chandrilla and not related to her, it'd be like kind of a thing uh, for, you know, oh, she's a rebel. We're working together. Like I'll present her somehow as related to me, but she's not, you know, like I don't know how that mm-hmm. would work really. But she could pass that off to other people, but I don't know how she could pass that off to her husband and her daughter and all these people who are close to her. Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to say too. And she's famous um, too, right? I mean, so Yeah. Um but like she's a there, senator and there is like there is that like age gap between them too. So uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that would well, work. But And yeah. Vale is rich, I think, because I was established earlier, like um when she was talking to Cinta and Cinta's like I can't remember which one of them said it, but like, just be a spoiled rich girl. And Mon Mothma said something along that those lines. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? I need you to go back to Chandrilla and be a spoiled rich girl for a little while. You know, um, again, I don't, how do you fake that? How do you pretend to be rich and have all this money and go back to your family on Chandrilla and not be, I think that's where she comes from. Cause it, cause like, there's like the dichotomy between her and Cinta in their relationship, because Cinta obviously is like not that person. And it's just mm-hmm. one of the various ways that they're really different from one another, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was, there was like a source of tension. And then now we're finding out like, Oh, well I was thinking maybe she was related to Luthen, 
but now because she's always like was he going to be here i really thought he'd be here all that stuff like no it turns out like she's she's related to um mon mothma and that would explain the the wealth you know the wealthy background and all that yeah because um mon mothma's um comes from comes from old money as well um yeah so maybe it's just uh that entire uh that entire family yeah i guess that that would make sense um yeah yeah but her husband perrin he's like saying the stupidest stuff at the at the breakfast table or whatever it is like I, and it's, oh, it's gonna, so layered god <laughs> you're gonna go back to chandrilla and find a husband and she's like yeah that's not what i was gonna do or that's not really on my to-do list <laughs> or whatever and mon mothma just like sort of smiles um, yeah. <laughs> which I interpreted to be like, you idiot. She's not looking for a man. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. not. <laughs> um, so yeah, but yeah. you know, of course in his mind, like that's the, that would be the, um, the apex of her, her trajectory. Like that would be the, that'd be the goal, right? Go find a guy. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, you can, you can be married. Well, it is kind of a sick, well, not, not a burn. It's sick. Uh, but, but he says to her like, well, that, you know, at this point you need to find a widow or, or what does he say? Like you need to find someone basically. So when you die, they inherit your stuff or whatever. <laughs> this was always like what he was saying to her. I forget yeah. Line, but. Um, yeah. But it, I mean, I, it is like, it was great to see um, Mon Mothma's like expression because like he could not possibly be more wrong in like mm. every aspect of what he was saying and like how little he understood and knew about her. Um, and he tells her, yeah, because he tells her, like, at least you haven't gotten all boring and into politics like everybody else. Everybody else yeah. in my life is so boring now because they, they're all about politics. And she just says no one's ever accused me of being boring, which is pretty good. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. But also he is the absolute worst. Mm. For sure. Yeah. Um, other things that uh, that I um, felt like were really interesting from this part of the episode, uh, the cinematography and sort of set design of um, Mon Mothma's residence or whatever. There's a few shots and I've seen people um, posting screens of, of this shot, but there's um, shots of Mon Mothma standing in her home and she's surrounded by like this octagonal or maybe it's hexagonal. I don't know how many sides, but like a frame around her, you know, like the doorway Mm -hmm. and it's in the foreground and in the background. And, um, it's, uh, you know, she just seems like she's enclosed or trapped, you know, Mm. um, there. And, and there's shots with very similar framing in the prison where, uh, Cassian is as well. Um, and so like mm. as far as shot selection and cinematography in this episode, um, there's definitely like parallel shots of Cassian and Mon Mothma, um, framed in the same way that would suggest they're both in, um, you know, prison, different sorts of prisons or whatever, but, um, yeah, killer, killer stuff there. Yeah. Uh, the conversation between Vale and, um, Mon Mothma sort of when she's getting ready to leave, Vale's getting ready to leave. Um, Mom Mothma says, you know, asks her, what have we done? Vale's uh, response is, I don't know, a few lines, but she, I think the last thing she says is we've, uh, we've chosen a side. Um, and she says, uh, we're making something of our lives, um, which was uh, pretty good. And I believe she also kind of quotes uh, Cinta in that scene too. 
you know, where she sort of says like, you know, we, we get what's left or, you know, our, our lives are going to be what's mm-hmm. left or what we can kind of, um, I forget exactly how she phrases it, but it was, if not directly quoting Cinta, at least, you know, paraphrasing what Cinta told her, you know, sort of the same thing. So it's kind of one of those, all of these people who are, um, and I think we've, we've seen this in a lot of different um, interactions in the show, but all of these people who are um, part of this rebellion need, they need uh, support or they need to be reminded. Um, they have to lean on other people. Sort of, they, they, they have their moments where they're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And there's somebody else who can say, this is why we're doing this. This is why we have to do this, you know? Um, so I just feel like we've seen, like we've seen that with um, uh, Luthen and, uh, can't i never remember the name of the woman he works with um oh is it leda no that's mon mothma's daughter it's with something with a k um, oh okay with a k but um but yeah i feel like there was a moment like that with uh luthan where you know she kind of had to like you know kind of kick his butt and remind him what he's doing and um Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously we had a scene just like that with Cinta and Val in the previous episode, and then tonight we had one, or this episode we had one with with uh, Val and, and Mon Mothma, and um, yeah, just kind of um, you know, we're just seeing that this is really hard, and people are struggling to maintain their resolve. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, mm-hmm. and have to be kind of reminded. Um, and then <laughs> last thing, I guess uh, that I that I noted from uh, this Mon Mothma part of the show is um, the discussion she has with the handsome uh, salt and pepper haired gentleman, the banker, Mm -hmm. uh, the Chandrillon Mm -hmm. banker um, about like, we got to cover up those $400,000 credits. Like we got to make that go away. Um, And he's like, well, there's Davos called in Davos called in, you know? Um, And she's like, he's a thug. He's not a banker. He's a thug. And, um, yeah, like obviously we're going to see, I think we're going to see that guy in the next episode and the way they built him up here is uh, pretty compelling. I cannot wait to see like who this guy is, what he's like. Um, and uh, it's another example of Mon Mothma sort of being, this is, uh, I don't know, because she tells that guy in the eighth episode, you know, my my politics might be a little strong for you or it might be a little tough for you to handle, you know? But like, man, that really seems to be this rebellion thing is is definitely proving difficult for Mon Mothma to kind of deal with and accept, you know, like the violent aspect of it. She's like horrified by that. And we know that she's very much like sort of a as much as she's a, a leader of a military or a rebellion. She also, you know, from what we know about like her um, post the post return of the Jedi, you know, she's like um, demilitarizing the Republic and stuff as the chancellor and all that, you know? So we know that she's mm-hmm. pretty hesitant. I feel like to be, uh, violent, um, which is admirable, mm-hmm. but obviously mm-hmm. Luthen is like, no, we got to blow stuff up and we got to kill people. And like, that's hard for her to deal with. And now she's like finding out like, okay, well we need money for this rebellion. I guess like I'm going to have to deal with people like this guy, Davos. Um, so I cannot wait to, uh, to learn more about him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, um, you know, it's good to see, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, 
it's good to see characters in the show like having to constantly be so like torn between and like trying to keep their humanity and their um you know moral compass but also like doing what needs to be done which again it like all goes back to um you know that that line in rogue one where andor is like you know cassian was like i i've done horrible things but it was Mm. all you know all for the cause and that's uh that's what this show is and it's uh pretty pretty fascinating to watch absolutely okay ryan um anything else on that episode before we move on to our damon lindelof hollywood reporter story uh nope it ruled Mm -hmm. absolutely Okay, so uh, let's let's jump into um, this story that uh, Boris Kitt wrote for Hollywood Reporter uh, a while back now, um, but we you know haven't had the uh, the time to give it the proper time we wanted to on the show, so we'll talk about it mm-hmm. today today tonight. Um, so the big story here is that, and we've heard rumblings of this for a while now, but the big story is that there is a Star Wars movie in development that is being put together by Damon Lindelof um, that he's been working on it for a while now. And not only is it sort of being, uh, well, Boris Kitt puts it as being led creatively by David uh, Lindelof, Damon Lindelof, sorry. Um, Mm -hmm. But that uh, Charmaine Obeyed Chinoy, um, who is a director on Miss Marvel is going to be directing the movie. Um, Are you familiar with that director, Ryan? Uh, I'm not, I have not watched, uh, uh miss marvel or you haven't any of no any of their other okay well i haven't either but i'm surprised that you haven't um i think of you as a marvel guy but i guess you're a little burnt out on marvel stuff lately i I, i've watched werewolf by night and that was like the only marvel thing i've watched in like the past like six months so gotcha okay okay yeah um well, so that uh, director, Shermin Obeyed Chinoy, is um, apparently going to direct the movie. Um, I believe that's what he means by on board as Helmer. <laughs> I think that's what it means. Um, maybe the word director would have been more clear there, but that's what he means. Um, and so I think. Uh, so yeah, uh, Damon Lindelof kind of writing it with um, Justin Britt Gibson, who is a, uh, according to... Kit, again, a young and rising writer who worked as an executive story editor on Guillermo or Guillermo del Toro's vampire drama, The Strain. I bet you've seen that. Uh, I have not. Um, Ryan, I know. I know. You're supposed to. Yeah. It's totally in my wheelhouse. And I think there was a book because I think uh, my wife read it. Um, Okay. But no, not. I haven't haven't watched it. Okay. Okay. Well, um, worked on that. Also worked on um, a show on stars called The Counterpoint, which I'm not familiar with. Um, so apparently, he and uh, Lim- uh, Lindelof are, are writing the show, are writing the script together. 
Um, and allegedly there was a secret writer's room that started coming together after Star Wars Celebration. And he- they held a two-week session in July. And there's a bunch of other names that were apparently part of this secret writer's table, um, which include Patrick Somerville, who worked on Leftovers and also worked on Station Eleven. Um, Raina McClendon, who was a producer on Obi-Wan Kenobi and also a writer on Willow, the series Willow. And uh, Andy Greenwall, um, the creator of Briar Patch, which Raina McClendon was a story a story editor on. And uh, Dave Filoni may have been present at this meeting as well. <laughs> so <laughs> this is like this paragraph or this section where it's like, ooh, there was a secret writer's room and like all these names were there. And like, this is what we've heard. It feels a little less um, concrete to me than the other parts of the story. I don't know if you got that vibe also, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's all it's all pretty believable. Um, yeah, I do. Th- I th- I think like the the line like Dave Filoni may have been present. Like, OK, <laughs> like, yeah. probably like. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also just the choice to be like, oh, is a secret writer's room. Like, well, all of this is a secret, isn't it? Because they haven't said anything about it. So like yeah. the only reason we know is because you're telling us in this article that, you know, um, whatever. Now, granted, the, the thing with this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and I don't know if I believe this, you know, it's cons- conspiracy stuff or whatever. I mean, conspiracy is not the right word. But a lot of times when these things leak on Hollywood Reporter, um, people will say, this is from Lucasfilm. Like Lucasfilm, somebody at Lucasfilm called this dude up, the, the writer, and said like, here's what's going on. We're not going to mm-hmm. make an announcement, but, you know, write an article about it. And, and that's how this stuff gets out there. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but if, yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but, uh, I do kind of believe that, um, sites like the Hollywood reporter and writers like Boris kit, um, don't just like, Oh, I heard some random rumor. I'll put it out there. Like they know it's happening or they wouldn't write the story. So I, I, I believe that it's true. I was just gonna say, I wouldn't be shocked if, if we found out like later on, like, Oh, that part, some of that part was off. Like some of that part wasn't real, you know, the writer's table thing or whatever, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think this is a reputable enough source to. I think like whether or not this project comes to fruition, which again, like uh, until they are actually filming, like I don't believe any <laughs> Star Wars project um, exists uh, wholly, and. Um, and I, you know, we'll see. Um, but I don't have, I don't doubt that this, these conversations and these plans uh, happened. Like, I mm-hmm. think this is all like, I think all this, all this happened. I think there's probably some version of a script that now exists um, at this point. And I believe there's probably like the conversation now is like, do we go move forward with this or not? Or when do we move forward with this? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that 
this is probably the better way for Lucasfilm to be, you know, doing this sort of thing, like developing a movie is like, okay, um, you know, hire a director, hire writers, um, get the project to a place where they're comfortable that everybody's happy and then announce it when you're, you know, at that point and close to Mm -hmm. casting and filming instead of like with the rogue squadron movie or the Taika Waititi movie or any uh, number of other movies that have been talked about, like announcing it when it's just a idea in somebody's head and like a commitment, like, okay, well, Patty Jenkins said she'll do it. So we're, we're announcing the movie, you know, Um, just because like it, it feels, it feels like to me, you know, my interpretation is that Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy and, and Lucasfilm are committed to, only making Star Wars projects they believe in and that they think uh, are right for Star Wars or or get Star Wars in the way that is important to them. You know, I think mm-hmm. they want to protect mm-hmm. it in that regard. They want to protect like what Star Wars is by only making things that they feel like live up to not just a quality standard, but also um, a standard of uh, being in line with the the ethos of star Wars. And I, th- I think that's really important for them. Um, so they have, yes, been un- I, will, I will add, I will add on to that because I think the Andor has like kind of proven this to me too, is that they also do want projects that will move the franchise forward and be, unique and you know play on the strengths of the creators and allow creative freedom rather than just like rehashing the same like nostalgia trip over and over again like i do think they want to uh i i think with the faith and um freedom they've given andor like i i do think that is something they prioritize as well which i don't know if i would have been able to say like a year or two ago yeah i agree and actually the word i was just going to use was uncompromising i think they've been uncompromising Mm -hmm. with that dedication to uh i sound like i'm like a pr for them or something using words like Mm -hmm. dedication but with that dedication to only make things that they think you know belong or fit or are you know live up to those standards for star Wars. And, and the reason I say that is like, and, and I totally agree with you. I think they do want to, they want people to push star Wars. They want people to make their own personal vision of star Wars. They don't want everything to just be the same old thing rehashed over and over again. Um, like you said, but I, I think, you know, hiring Lord Miller to do solo or hiring Taika Waititi to do a star Wars movie. To me, that's all the evidence you need right there that they want things that are different and personal. Cause if you want cookie cutter, those aren't the guys you're hiring to make a movie for you. Right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't hire those people expecting cookie cutter. Um, I don't know exactly what happened with Lord Miller and solo. Uh, I don't think anybody does. Uh, well, some people do, but I don't think uh, it's generally <laughs> some um, people do. exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I don't know what's going on with the rogue squadron thing or Patty Jenkins or anything like that. Um, and I hate to make him my perpetual, um, punching bag, but I feel like with episode nine that they looked at what Colin Trevorrow wrote and his writing partner and what they wrote. And they said, this does not live up to, or this does not meet 
or fit whatever the ethos and the worldview and the the ideas of Star Wars. And we can't make that. And I think that, you know, for him, it was like, well, this is what I'm, this is what I want to make. And they were in an impasse. And so they didn't do it anymore, you know? And obviously with Solo, that was even more painful because they were like mostly done making the movie and they were like, we can't agree on this. I don't know if that was so much the same kind of issue or not. Maybe that was like a different, a different issue. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just, I feel like they've, it's been so messy various times because they have this Mm -hmm. uncompromising kind of vision for what a star Wars project needs to be. And then when people don't get there, it's like this big fallout and this big mess. And it sucks because we're looking forward to Rogue Squadron. or We're looking forward to Colin Trevorrow's episode nine, or we're looking forward to solo by Lord Miller. And then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think having a writer and having a director and having a script and having confidence that everybody kind of wants the same thing. And then announcing Mm -hmm. the movie is going to be a better formula if that's what they're doing. And it kind of feels like in this case, that's seems like what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been a learning process for them. Like they're doing the thing that basically only, you know, one person had done before um, from one person's brain um, to, Mm -hmm. you know, try to uh, carry that on with, um, you know, integrity and fidelity. And uh, it's, sometimes uh worked out sometimes um it hasn't some things you know didn't get off the ground and it was probably you know a blessing in disguise and other things you know got off the ground and existed and ended up being disappointing um in various ways and um it is a it's they've experienced like the whole spectrum of it i think at and also, while dealing with, uh, um, you know, a a passionate fan base, uh, huge um, financial expectations on, like, the corporate Disney side of things, um, and then also, like, you know, this... Um, like weird culture war thing that's like happening within like, you know, mostly like the United States. Um, I don't know how much it's affected um, other countries uh, perceptions of star Wars and stuff, but it's like star Wars has become like one of those things that are just, you know, at least maybe not. No. Yeah. Still um, are like this, the center of this like weirdo, like alt-right um, shenanigans that are, that are going on um, and making everyone miserable. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot that I don't think they could have predicted when they were like, Hey, we're going to make new star Wars movies. Like, I don't think, yeah, like, and a pandemic and like all this stuff, unprecedented things. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also like, it, it really depends on what your definition of success is too. Right. And how do they define success? Mm -hmm. How does the audience define success, et cetera? You know, I feel like sometimes when people talk about this stuff, it's like, oh, well, you know, they've announced five movies that they haven't made or they had to fire two directors or whatever. So like, that's not a success. 
yeah, I mean, like in terms of PR or in terms of just like perception, I guess, or whatever, uh, yeah, you could be more successful than that. But like to me, you know, having made every project they announced and not firing anybody and having, you know, 40% of the stuff they put out, not live up to their standards and not, you know, kind of weaken the brand overall or the identity of what star Wars is and means to me, that's far less successful. You know what I mean? I I think it's more successful to have a messy production (laughs) cycle and take some PR hits and ultimately at the end of the Mm day, be satisfied with the movies they've made. And I know that like, obviously not every individual person is going to love everything that they've made, but if they can, if they can, as a, a, you know, a studio or a, a team, um, look at everything they've made and say, you know, some of these movies and some of these shows are better than others or work better than others or whatever. But like we mm-hmm. didn't compromise what we think is important for, you know, star Wars to be and to mean. And so like, you know, I, I would rather have a messy trail of canceled projects and, <laughs> you know, um, ultimately that kind of success than like, Oh man, there was never any, there was never any bumpy roads, but you know, some of these movies are mid as MJF would say, you know, yeah, well, I don't know. Like, the, <laughs> Kathy Kennedy doesn't seem to, uh, you know, miss a chance to throw Solo under the bus. <laughs> so, uh, uh, no. What do you mean? I I think like, I it's it's happened. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I think like I don't know. I don't know how in turn that movie is. No, I was just saying, even if she doesn't think that movie is that good, maybe she's like, ah, that movie is whatever. Like, I don't think the book of Boba Fett's all that good personally. You know what I mean? But I'm also yeah. not like, I'm also not like they did damage to the brand of star Wars because they made something that was like anti- antithetical to the ethos of star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about like somebody making a star Wars thing that is like really undermines what star Wars, what they believe. And probably I would agree with them believe you know star wars should be that's what i'm more worried about like i don't care if you make a weird star wars project if you're taika watiti or you're lord miller or if if you know like uh, i mean you know there's a couple star wars movies and shows that you don't like very much ryan that you think are not that Mm -hmm. good you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. that's gonna happen that's gonna happen and it, it probably happens with the people that work there you know what i mean but at least you didn't like green light it and make it knowing like oh god this is gonna this is like the exact opposite of what I think Star Wars should go for, you know, or strive for or whatever. Like, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty nebulous, too. And I think, like, especially with how we're seeing Star Wars be different things that, you know, some people would, you know, some some people would say, like, I I don't want to watch some serious political Star Wars show like I want lightsabers and you know tie fighters and x-wings fighting like who cares about all this stuff so so yeah yeah but like my, I guess my and this is man I don't know I'm just how I feel about Star Wars I guess but like to me it's not about that it's not about making a show that everybody wants to watch to me it's like when you make your political spy thriller about Star Wars mm-hmm does it still have some level of 
hope or optimism. And there's not a lot of it in Andor, by the way. But like, you know, it, I don't feel like it's celebrating. I don't know, man. Re- you got to read the script for Colin Trevorrow's episode nine and read the conclusion uh, of that script and then come back to me because, you know, I- I've already reading experienced- it. I'm like, this thing. <laughs> No, I know what you're going to say, and that's fine. But like, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I can't imagine it being worse than what I saw in the theater. But uh, it was, it was um, exponentially worse. No, I, and well, uh, you know, it, either way, like, okay, like this, you know, if you make a if you make a Star Wars rom episode, you make, a, you make a Star Wars rom com, and it doesn't work for part of mm-hmm. your audience because they don't want to see that kind of Star Wars movie. You make a Star Wars show like mm-hmm. Andor, that's a slow burn political thriller, and that's not the kind of mm-hmm. thing people want to see. Fine, that that's not what I'm talking about. I think they're going to have to do that, right? Like they should do that. That's totally fine. Yeah. What I'm talking about mm-hmm. is like when you watch the movie, I'm like, this betrays the things that Star Wars is supposed to stand for. That's what I'm talking about. And yes, it can but be a little think, nebulous, but yeah, I think people are going to define that in such different ways that. Yeah, of course people are, but I think the people that run yeah. Lucasfilm have defined it in a way that they think is similar to how George Lucas defined it. And I think they're trying to protect that integrity to like what it's supposed to be. And that's why I think there's been so much messiness because they're not willing to compromise on that. And, you know, it doesn't mean everybody else in the world has to agree with what they think Star Wars should be, but they're the mm-hmm. ones making it. We're talking about creative vision, right? We're talking about artists yeah. making something that they believe in. Not doesn't mean everybody else in the world has to believe in it, but if they believe in it, I'm glad that they're unwilling to let that go because, God, we don't want to take another L in the press for canceling a movie. You know what I mean? cancel the movie like have it be messy in the in the public relations sphere if it has to be but make stuff you believe in and it doesn't mean everybody else has to make stuff you believe in that's what i'm saying yeah but i also think that like probably not everyone at lucasfilm even has the same agreement on like the core principles of what make you know uh, uh, around that too and i think it well, is kind of just like a case-by-case basis i don't know because i think kathleen kennedy i think dave filoni i think like when we read about this secret writer's room i feel like that's a big part of it is like we're gonna get people in this room and in th- at this table to break this story um and we want to have a brain trust so that as we break mm-hmm. the story it's like you know the I don't want to say the best minds, but we get a, a group of great minds together to make sure we put something together that like works, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I mean, sure. Not every single person that works at Lucasfilm is going to have the same vision for it, but I think like the people who are producing and really like those, I don't know how many, how many names are there? Five names, 10 names, 15 names. I don't know mm-hmm. how many names there are, but like the people who really have sway and who are really going to be the mm-hmm. ones making those kinds of decisions. I feel like they probably, you know, are pretty close on that stuff. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's less of like, is this thing like the aligned with the core principles of star Wars, which I think can be defined in many different ways, or is this a good story set in the Star Wars universe in a way that makes sense. I th- is kind of more what I feel like it is because like 
I hear people every day telling me what Star Wars is and what it isn't. And, you know, we, we've been hearing that a, a whole lot more in the past, you know, four or five years. Um, and sometimes I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Or like, does it really need to have that thing in it to be Star Wars? Like, um, and so like, I don't know. I don't think I really have like a clear definition or like a, you know, I don't have, I have no non-negotiables when it comes to like what a Star Wars thing is. Like, I just want good stories that are well-made set in the Star Wars universe. And beyond that, like, I don't, I don't really care whether there's like, you know, themes of found family or things, themes of hope and optimism or light and dark or like whatever those, all that stuff is. Um, because like it, it just needs to be, you know, a good story set in, in that, in that world universe galaxy for me. Okay. All right. Cause I think, yeah. you know, even with like, you know, the stories that George Lucas told, like those themes changed and some of them, you know, uh, there is like, you know, there's different ideas in the original trilogy and the prequels. Yeah. There's like some crossover there's rhyming. Um, but there's also, and then there's been like different ideas in like the Disney era as well. And in episodes of the clone wars and all this, um, and I don't think it always has to like go back to like, okay, this Star Wars project's coming to a close. It needs to end like Return of the Jedi now. Like, um, I don't know. I th- I think it's yeah. like things are broadening, and I think that's good. And that's kind of my guess for what I think the the thinking at um, Lucas Lucasfilm is. Yeah, I want him to broaden too, but I think I've heard the the term non-negotiable come up um in reference to a few of these failed projects and things like that. And like so for instance, like you said, like, oh well, there's different themes and in, in different, you know, kind of ideas in, in George Lucas's Star Wars movies. Yeah. I mean, like the prequels take a really different approach to like a Star Wars trilogy and a Star Wars story than the original trilogy did, you know, in a lot of ways. But also I'm like, okay, so in the wrong hands, the scene where Anakin decapitates Count Dooku could be celebrated as like, you know, the, 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 the right thing to do in that moment. And to me, it's like, okay, well that, that wouldn't fit with star Wars for me. And it's not about genre. It's not about look. It's not about like, it has always has to have the same story or the same theme or the same outcome or like anything like that. But, you know, I just feel like if we're, if it's, nihilistic or I don't know, sort of celebrating the wrong things. I feel like it's, it's to me, that would be something that would feel like it was not working for star Wars really for me anyway. Um, Mm. and I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know how long the list is of things that I think it's less about like stuff that needs to be there or like, Oh, every star Wars has to have this. I think it's more just like, there's a few things and I'm not even sure, you know, I don't have a list. Um, I don't know if I could define them necessarily myself, but I think there's a there's at least a few things where it would be like this would be this wouldn't 
feel right. You know, this would feel like the wrong thing to do. This would feel like it's, it's in, in opposition to the principles of like these stories. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so, there's so many already different star Wars stories that, that Mm -hmm. I feel like they, they feel different in so many, so many ways, but I don't know. I can't think of anything that's been put out for me personally, anyways, as different as some of these Star Wars shows and stories and movies and everything are, I can't think of anything that I feel like doesn't pass the test of like, or, or fails the test, I guess, of, of betraying the values of, of like what, you know, George Lucas created for Star Wars to be, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we get that really. I can't think of like any examples of like major media franchises where, like a total where something like totally doesn't get it. Um, Cause even like with like MCU stuff or like DC stuff or um, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, whatever, like Harry Potter, like any of these like g- giant conglomerate franchises. Like, I mean, you, you don't really have any like major outliers like you get stuff of varying quality like you get your uh you know your morbius and stuff like in there uh but it it never really seems to like hurt the um you know there's never been anything like wow we like where do how do we even like recover from this like this was so like tonally off um Mm. But I think, like, yeah, I think it more is, like, a question of, like, quality and, um, and you know, like, financial performance as well. Um, but. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could be. Could be. All right. We haven't talked all that much about the actual story that we're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> let's talk about. <laughs> Which is my about so Damon Lindelof. Yeah. So you said you said last week you had a lot to say about this, Ryan. So like what 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 is I do. Um, what's most interesting about this to you? Um I think uh you know, I I think there <laughs> you know, you sometimes um creators get um they have their uh a thing happens, a thing they make, and they get known for a thing, and then it haunts them forever. Um, and I think, uh, <laughs> I think to a degree, uh, Lost has haunted every single person involved in that show <laughs> um, to some to some degree, from like actors to um, creators to dudes who were the co-creator and producer for like executive producer for one season. And then it's like their entire careers get defined by um, a show that like was incredibly influential and captured a lot of interest and then ultimately um, disappointed a great many people um, in the end um, in, uh, in like devastating ways. Um, And I think, uh, yeah, I think Damon Lindelof has been like kind of kind of haunted um, by that. And I even like saw it when like news of this was breaking 
And I'm like, whoa, people are like still mad about that. And they still think this dude's a hack because of that. Like thing that happened, what, like 15 years ago now, um, over a decade ago, regardless. Um, but, um, but also there was, you know, we've, we found out like later that there was like network pressure and like all these other things happening, um, that, you know, made that show be what it was in the end. But regardless, um, I think, uh, you know, he's, I think he's a pretty brilliant dude who has like a deep affection for, um, genre entertainment and also has become, you know, really thoughtful about um, more human elements as well and incorporating um, like really smart ideas and like um, deep characterization and stuff in in his work. Um, you know, I think uh, both both you and I are uh, fans of uh, Prometheus, uh, which was, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, a very big idea um, film uh, that, you know, is um, divisive for sure. Um, but that was still like pretty close to the uh, the lost era. Um, but it did show like, yeah, this dude's got like a lot of big ideas. He, he also has like a deep passion for, you know, these, these genre franchises and such. Um, and then I didn't see it, but I, one of the things that it's been recommended to me by people I trust over and over again is the leftovers, Mm. um, on HBO. I hear that's just a phenomenal show that, um, you know, like was just, a high bar of quality throughout. And apparently they like really stuck their, the landing and everything. Um, but I think for me, it's all about uh, HBO's Watchmen, um, which is one of those, I think it was a project that was, um, you know, when it was announced and in development, it was, met with like a lot of skepticism um watchmen is one of those things that like it's generally in like the comic world considered like you don't touch this like you don't uh you don't do things with this like it just exists on its own and you know it's this seminal work like don't don't do things with it (laughs) like um and yeah and like Lindelof as like showrunner for that, like took a very uh, bold and complex approach to the source material and did like the furthest thing from uh, an adaptation as possible. And in turn, like created what I would say is probably my favorite piece of like genre television um, from like, I would say for me, it goes like Battlestar Galactica Watchmen to Andor and like are kind of like the high points for genre television for me. Like it's incredible. Like his Watchmen was just incredibly thoughtful and like complex and challenging and 
um, like it it barely resembled the source material but then like when you like actually get down to it it was like oh this this kind of did for you know superhero tv shows what watchmen did for superhero comics in in the mid 80s and uh yeah it's just i think it's like just a huge incredible accomplishment um what he did there and so for me that's uh you know a long way of saying like this is a dude like who would be perfect for like this era of star wars this transitional period that we're in with the films and you know he's someone who's like unafraid to you know take big swings to he's really, really thoughtful about the stories he's telling. And um, I'm, you know, I deeply hope that this is, this is all true because I think he would just be a fantastic, um, you know, in whatever, whatever role a storyteller for star Wars right now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I am not familiar with as much of the stuff he's done as, as you sound like you are. Um, my wife watched Leftover. She loved it. I did not watch that with mm. her. Um, not because I didn't want to, but just uh, a lot of times like we're not able to watch stuff together, especially more adult stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and it was a while ago. But anyway, um, she liked that show a lot. And so uh, I've heard good things about that. I love Prometheus. Um, I don't think it's a perfect movie, mm-hmm. but I think it's really compelling and really interesting. And it's mm-hmm. an example of a movie mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, it has some flaws or some weaknesses or whatever, but like I'm way more interested in, in how, and, and what it was, what it tried to do and what it usually succeeded in doing and how it took a swing. Like, I think you said that at some point, right? He takes big swings or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, movie takes mm-hmm. a big swing and like it's not 100 successful but i sure as heck ryan liked it more mm. than alien covenant which i didn't hate alien covenant yeah. but it was just like okay this is not yeah. compelling it's just like i've seen this you know um it's, it's so anyways yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i like both of those movies but for completely different reasons yeah yeah yeah, yeah alien covenant we like because dan mcbride's in it but um mm-hmm. anyway uh i was gonna say too that uh, uh this might not work for everybody, but for me, another thing that gives me comfort with Lindelof being involved is he's got that JJ Abrams connection. You know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's some, there's some JJ, I think like JJ Abrams hired him, I want to say for lost and he hadn't really done much of anything and they really got on with one another. And, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like they united a, over star Wars, their first conversation, their first meeting. Oh my They talked goodness. about star Wars. Yes. I remember that. I remember that interview from when I was reading every single interview about lost Lost, i could when i was just obsessed yeah so there you go sign me up for that reason too um and you know something we haven't talked about is that this movie is rumored to be set post rise of skywalker um and could feature sequel trilogy characters that's all the article says could feature sequel trilogy characters it doesn't say everybody it doesn't say it's a continue it says it's not a continuation of Mm -hmm. the sequel trilogy story or anything like that but um yeah i don't hate a guy who's connected to jj abrams being involved in in a a post sequel trilogy story that could have you know finn pop up in it or 
whoever. So, uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty minor consideration. Like it doesn't really probably make much of a difference. And unless JJ Abrams himself is going to be involved in, in the movie, which there's no indication mm-hmm. of that. And I'm sure he's not. Um, I think he's involved in about 2000 other things at any given time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think he's like, back like a new silent Hill video game. <laughs> yeah. 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 And a Batman <laughs> show that's not going to be on HBO anymore, but we'll still yeah. be made, I guess. Um, are you a Westworld guy? I, I it's, it's on my list. Um, oh, probably, okay. probably when I retire, it will be when oh, okay. I can finally yeah. sit down and watch all these seasons well, of TV. But even when you retire, you won't be able to watch season four cause they're not going to make it because HBO canceled it. Uh, I don't know if you'd seen uh, that or not, but I did. Yeah, I did it just know, happened like that, this weekend, I think. That, okay. Yeah, well, I've never watched a show, so it didn't really matter to me. It's just another example of HBO decisions. lately now just canceling stuff. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, so all that is stuff that we know. What do you think? I saw I registered an expression on your face when I said it's rumored to be uh, set post sequel trilogy. Um, do you care to explain that nonverbal um, um, communication, Ryan? I think it's exciting. Um, oh, okay. I think okay. it's uh, because it's it's uh, uncharted territory. I think like obviously we've seen you can do you can do interesting stories. You can tell interesting stories within the confines of the, you know, existing Skywalker saga. Um, as we're seeing with Andor week over week, um, it's the, you know, freshest, newest feeling star Wars ever. And it's like set in like pretty well trod, trodden territory. Um, and, but I also think there's something we also know we don't know how, but we know where Andor goes and like the, the story, you know, obviously there's many new characters here and, you know, part of, part of the, the, what's been enjoyable about Andor is the, the new characters. And I think, you know, and, and so I think, you know, you, you make good new characters in star Wars and, you know, you write them well and like people will, you know, the audience will connect with them. Like you, which I think is something that is something that like Lucasfilm does understand. Um, but like, they don't, you know, they're, I, I think Andor and like, you know, the people who are watching it, um, they're, um, you know, we're, we're obsessed with these characters already and they're like brand new characters and they're not like, you know, I mean, I guess some of them are related um, as, as we saw in like um, the most recent episode, but they're not all like, you know, who's, who's this, like, no one's, no one's asking like, who's this character's parents or like, you know, that kind of stuff. Like we can just appreciate characters on their own. And, you know, I think, moving into like this, you know, uncharted territory gives a, a lot more opportunities for like introducing new characters who, you know, maybe their fates aren't already sealed as unfortunately mm. I think most of the c- characters in Andor are. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, also like it, it's still, it's still feels like we didn't get to explore some of the new characters in the sequel trilogy 
as much as we could have. Um, and, you know, those movies were bouncing a lot. Episode nine was bouncing a lot. And I think, you know, like, yes, we didn't need to see, like, I, I don't think the intention was to show us their full character arcs. But at the same time, you're also like, you're concluding this trilogy, you're concluding this saga. And so there is like, it's just this weird point of like, like, okay, I well, you know, as far as far as we know, that's, that was uh, Finn's arc. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, I, it is like kind of, um, there is some finality to it um but like also it's not like but is it though and you know there's so many factors at play um and like i don't know so like the idea of potentially seeing those characters but it also like there is a reality too that when they say like it's after the um the sequel trilogy it could be like longer after the sequel trilogy to the point where, you know, if this is a hundred years after, you know, episode nine, then like, we're not going to see Ray or Finn or Poe or anyone. Maybe like the characters we see are like Maz Kanata or Chewbacca, you know, um, in, in it. And, uh, you know, so I don't like and also they it's like we you may see characters from sequel trilogy i think there's also i mean it's just it's in it's such a weird place for those characters and like those actors like does daisy ridley really want to come back to star wars right now like does you know um <laughs> does Oscar Isaac really want to like do this again? Um, you know, John Boyega, I think has been like the most uh, vocal about it. And he's kind of like, you know, changed his tone of a few times um, on it. And, but like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the right time. Like, well, one of the things about this is that it, it it seems like one of the other things that they said is that they're developing it as a standalone movie with the possibility that they could, you know, expand on it later. Um, but I think the big thing is like it's it's one movie. It's not a trilogy, you know, and mm-hmm, they, like mm-hmm. previously it had been like, let's do a trilogy approach, you know, um, and this is like a single movie. Part of me wonders, too, if it's like, OK, well, it's that poster as a Skywalker. We're not really you know, it's not going to have much connection to that. It's not a continuation of that story. It's not going to be about those characters, you know, could some of those characters pop up? Yeah. But I, I almost think it's more like if, if we continue telling a story with these characters in this time frame, then, you know, that likelihood of some of those characters eventually popping up in it would be higher too, you know, cause that statement mm-hmm. is like, Oh, well, no, it, you know, it could, they could be in it. You know, it's like, well, I don't know, like if Damon Lindelof and, the other people working on this know what they're doing with the story and broke a story this summer in July at a secret writer's room. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they probably know like uh, if, if, <laughs> I, you know, if it's very likely that these characters are going to, any of these characters are going to be in it or not, you know, mm-hmm. but if you know, you're making this movie and if people respond to it, you might make more, 
then I can see where it's like, well, yeah, we don't really have a significant place for Finn or Poe or Rose or whoever now, but you know, Hey, they're out there. And if we keep exploring these characters in this time frame, they might show up to me that that almost sort of makes sense too. Uh, it could be something like that. Yeah. You know? I mean, also I think, you know, when we're talking about like, cause there are like, you know, there is that like real people consideration, um, you know, yeah. to be made here. And like, you know, you can, uh, you know, Disney can can write the biggest checks imaginable, um, which can uh, change people's tunes for sure. Um, but also, I think there are, you know, times where people are like, no, this not what I need right now. Or like sure. when they're looking at like their, you know, path for their career and like, you know, people do like this is a historic thing that we've been seeing since the 70s. Like people do like okay, I did Star Wars. Now I want to distance myself from that so that I'm not like just a Star Wars person forever. Yeah. Um, Because that like can ruin careers too. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I think like, but I do think something like another factor here is that like, if this movie gets made, and it comes out and it's really exciting and really good. And I think that could also change, you know, if people were like hesitant before and like, uh, I don't really want to go through all this again, but you know, if it is something that's like, you know, the, the right people making the right thing in the same Mm. way, you know, like, um, in the same way they were able to kind of, you know, get, get Hayden back for, for Obi- Obi-Wan because it, because of Deborah Chow and like how she had, you know, proven her chops, um, on, you know, her pre Star Wars work for sure, but also like her episodes of Mandalorian and then like, you know, in her, you know, vision for it, like, being something where like, Hey, here's Hayden Christensen back in star Wars, something we thought we'd never see, or even like Ewan McGregor to a point, even though like he was a little, uh, more, um, forthcoming about his, um, eventual interest in returning. Um, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I don't know, um, where any of them individually would be. I, I think John Boyega right now seems like he's very interested in doing other things and he's pretty busy doing other things that, mm-hmm. you know, seem to mean a lot to him. Uh, yeah. Daisy Ridley is the most amazing actor and I doesn't feel like she's been doing all that much lately or doesn't have as much happening. That doesn't mean that she necessarily wants to run right back to star Wars, especially if star Wars, you know, she kind of feels like star Wars is part of the reason maybe she's not getting some of the work that she might want to get or whatever. So I, you know, I don't, who knows? And, I don't know about Oscar Isaac. I don't know about any of them. I would say this though. I don't know how interested I am in Ray or Finn or Poe cameos in movies that are kind of including them as like a, an afterthought or something, you know, I think maybe I'd rather just wait an extra 10 years before seeing Ray on screen again, or Finn on screen again, if it's not really essential to the fabric of that story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't want, I don't want like the, and I hate to, I'm not trying to drag on Marvel or whatever, but I don't want like the, Oh, post credits. Like, did you, can you believe that guy showed up? Or like, Oh, we're teasing mm-hmm. you for this next thing. Or like, 
well, that was a fun little can. I don't want cameos. I don't want like, I, I don't want stuff that's just like uh, meant to be a cheap pop to appease the audience mm-hmm. or something. I, mm-hmm. I don't want that. I don't want that. Especially yeah. with, especially not with Ray and Finn, who are two characters that I love and uh, I, th- you know, mean a lot to me. And as far as you know, Star Wars characters go, as far as like you know, fictional people can mean to a person, you know, they mean a lot mm-hmm. to me. And so I, I don't want to see them just like casually like tossed into a movie here and there just to be you know that like oh there was that buzz when people were leaving the theater because they were like did you believe that can you believe that per- that character was back for five minutes like i don't want that mm-hmm. so yeah, that, i don't even know so what i want as far as that kind of stuff goes. Like, yeah it doesn't it doesn't last yeah. it doesn't mean anything yeah R- right 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 um yeah. so yeah uh, who knows we'll see um you know kind of what happens with that as far as that connection there i will also just say too uh, I'll just make it fast. I'll just be really quick and I'll just say this, but like to me, the least interesting, and I'm, I was recently irritated by a friend of ours who, who was very strong on this specific point. But like, to me, the least important thing of anything is when is it set? Because I've had people who have been so like dig their heels in the ground. Like I only want to see star Wars that's set in a new time period. It can't be set in the same time period. Mm-hmm. And you already brought it up, but Andor is proving that like, that is so to me that's such a minor concern it's such mm-hmm. a limited way of thinking of things a person who's a storyteller and i'm not by the way but a person who's a storyteller who can create like really interesting compelling stories and is a great writer like tony gilroy and the people who are working on andor are making this incredible show yes it's set in a period of time that we've already seen who cares i don't, it would be a great show if it wasn't star wars it is a great short show and it is Star Wars. It would be a great show if it was set in some different period of the Star Wars galaxy or, you mm-hmm. know, history or whatever. And mm-hmm. it is in the period it's set in. It's not about when is it set. It's about what are the intentions and the choices of the people making the show? What are, what kind of show are they writing? How are they writing yep. it? That's what matters. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, do I want to see new things? Do I want to get away from like, you know, kind of repeating the same stuff we've already seen? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very limiting and a very close-minded perspective to think the, we can only get away from repeating ourselves if it's something brand new. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be. And Andor is proof of that. And The Last Jedi is proof of that. The Last Jedi is one of the most inventive and original Star Wars movies. It is the most original and inventive Star Wars movie. And it's mm-hmm. set right in the middle of and deals with legacy. So it's not about is it brand new or isn't mm-hmm. it? You know, I mean, that's a factor. But yeah, I mean, yeah. To make it all like, about that to me is like uh, really irritating. At, at the time, The Last Jedi was the most like forward in the timeline of the Star Wars films. Like, okay, it was, it was, it was. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I don't think that. But that's I hear not this, why The Last Jedi is good. The Last Jedi was. I hear like these people good. are like, we got to go a hundred years in the future. We got to go two hundred mm-hmm. years in the past. We got to go a millennia in the past. We got to be like, you know, it has to be so completely disconnected. Otherwise, it's just going to be rinse and repeat. And it's like, okay, I just wow. feel like when you say something like that, you are, you don't, you're not, you're not indicating that you understand like what makes a story good or not. You know, because it's way more than that. You could, it could be awful and be and, and fit your criteria that criteria, or it could be. <laughs> amazing and fit that criteria like it's such a small part of the overall to me yeah and i mean again like i'm you know just like you said like yes i do want things to move forward um or you know um 
or like out of the like deeply familiar parts of of like Star Wars. Um, but I mean, I would say like also you you know you think about like what is the the most forward Star Wars product we have, which is um, the rise of rise of Skywalker, and like uh, do do those people love that movie? No, yeah, no, they don't. They hate it. But but <laughs> so but again, I- yeah, so I mean, I would just say to them like you know like you can have something that like is forward and you know and like out of like the original i mean out of in like a new era and it's still not be like what you want yeah 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 but part of what like this specific person but i i do see this i i see people say this all the time like i see it online Mm -hmm. other people say it like i need it to be like completely disconnected it can't touch anything to do with i don't want to see mm-hmm. any character i've ever seen before i don't want to see any location i've ever seen before mm-hmm. it's kind of like the tatooine thing like oh we're going back to tatooine like i don't want to go back to tatooine i understand mm-hmm. like okay it can, that can get repetitive but also like yeah, at the end of the I day understand you that. Can tell, yeah no yeah. i i know and i do too mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's like that's to me is, is going to be maybe a mild annoyance but i'll still watch the thing and find out if it's a really great story or not you know what i mean mm-hmm. at the end of the day it's like I just feel like too much importance. It's, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter at mm-hmm. all. But I feel like sometimes like we put too much importance on some of these things that at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, you know, whether, whether the story of, uh, uh, of Luke and Vader and the emperor was on the throne room on the death star or, you know, on Tatooine or on Naboo or whatever, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like that story is, great because of the story that's being told not where it is you know yeah um that also just uh brings up another thing um (laughs) that i've been i i kind of thought about um thinking about andor is um i think i'm i think i may be post caring about planets in star wars i think that was something where you know we would obsess over like oh what is what is this planet where you know this scene from the trailer, what planet is it on? Oh, well, that's the name of the planet. And it's something that like, I can't pronounce and I'll forget within a month and like, Holy crap. It's on this planet. Oh, it's on that planet. Oh, it's on that planet. I, we are like on all these different planets in Andor. I don't care. Like, I don't care about the names of the planets. I'm not trying to memorize them. Like I, yeah. And I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm so with like you. locations really matter less to me in Star Wars. Like, I don't even care if you tell me the name of the planet. I don't care if it's just like a desert. I'm like, maybe that's Tatooine. Maybe it's Jakku, like whatever. Like just tell good stories. Like, yeah. 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 I'm with you. But although- also if you do like, but if they do like be like, Hey, we're going back to Tatooine. Look at all these Tatooine things. Hey, remember this thing from Tatooine? Hey, it's Max Rebo. Hey, yeah. it's this. Like, then I'm then I'm like rolling my eyes. Like, yeah, I, I would roll my eyes at that too. I would roll my eyes at that too for sure. Uh, I just I just bristle at the suggestion that if something takes place on Tatooine or if something pl- takes place in this five year period of of the story of the timeline, mm-hmm. then it has to be like that. Like, or I'm just going to assume automatically it's going to be like that. And it's like, no, because yeah. Andor again is Andor. a example of that. Yep. But you know, or, <laughs> you know a few minutes ago though, you had said something about like, you know, uh, 
stories don't have to be concerned with like who's who's parent and all that kind of stuff, you know, or whatever. Like, um, and I agree, but I think I, I do think too, though, and this is like not super relevant to what we're talking about, but I do th- actually it is. I do think too that like there's a certain type of storytelling that the saga movies, that the trilogy movies go for that other Star Wars projects don't go for. You know, like Mandalorian mm-hmm. is pretty is in some ways pretty different from a saga movie. Solo is very different from a saga movie. Rogue One's very different from a saga movie. You know, mm-hmm. Andor is super, super different from a saga movie. But I also think like, you know, if you are making episodes seven, eight, and nine, maybe you should kind of be concerned with those kinds of questions because that is kind of part of just like the structure of an epic story. You know what I mean? Like of of that kind of like sweeping sort of epic, you know, like it's they're corny. And and not only are they corny, they're 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 not grounded. You know what I mean? They're super um stylized and they're super um uh, big swing kind of stories. And I think like I- I'm happy that we are in a place now where like clearly there's room in Star Wars to do that kind of story, Star Wars story, and there's room in Star Wars to do other kinds of Star Wars stories, you know? Um and I think you you had also said something a minute ago, Ryan, I think about like what it's trying to do, you know, what, what a certain project or a certain story is trying to do, what kind of story is it trying mm-hmm. to be? I think that's the thing to, th- you know, to focus on is like, so what kind of story is this story that Lindelof and crew are breaking and getting ready to make? Like, what kind of story is that going to be? And mm-hmm. to me that that's like what I'm really curious about. And if it's set post rise of Skywalker or not, um, it's interesting, but it's not, the most important thing, the most important thing to me is like, what kind of story is it going to be? And then is it going to prioritize and emphasize the right elements for whatever kind of story it is, you know? Yeah. Okay. Last uh, two things I'll say is one. um, I don't, I don't care if we ever get another trilogy or another, I don't, I don't care about episodes 10, 11, 12, like those existing or anything at this point. Um, I think I mean, maybe they'll happen. Maybe they'll be awesome. Maybe they'll happen. Maybe they'll be disappointing, like whatever. But I don't know if those are as much of a foregone conclusion as we once thought they would be when we were like very rigid and like, this is what Star Wars is, because Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing Star Wars be a lot of other things and, um, and those stories told in a different way. And, you know, I think we may even be able to like, dispose of the term saga film um eventually probably yeah yeah no i agree i don't i don't necessarily need uh 10 11 and 12 but i will say and i don't necessarily need any movies that continue the story of that saga that nine part saga that exists right Mm -hmm. but i will say i personally want in my life going forward at some point doesn't be right away but at some Mm -hmm. point i want star wars movies and star wars tv shows that are made in the style and tone of those Star Wars movies. So I want mm. and am loving stuff that's made in a different style and tone too. But, you know, I don't care if it's a trilogy. I don't care if it's one movie, six movies, whatever. I don't care if it's connected to the Skywalker saga or if it's not. I do want like, I, you know, I hope I have a lot of years left, Ryan. I do want to see some Star mm-hmm. Wars movies that have like that classic you know, and when I say classic, I mean original trilogy, prequel trilogy, sequel trilogy, just like that, you know, that original Star Wars sort of blueprint for tone and style 
the wipes and the Williams-esque score and, you know, the... Mm-hmm. I want that kind of, I still want that kind of Star Wars. I don't need it to be all Star Wars. I don't even need it to be most Star Wars, but I also, I'm not so post everything that I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. And I don't want the original Star Wars flavor anymore. I still want the original Star Wars flavor at some point. I I like it. Yeah. I don't know. In fact, it's my favorite flavor of Star Wars. Hmm. I, I don't think I need that. Um, I, I think I'm, I think I'm good. I mean, obviously like for me, it is just like quality. If, like, someone comes out with, like, a bang-up, like, you know, ridiculous space opera, Star Wars, you know, whatever it may be, TV show, uh, movie, whatever that, like, I'm into, like, and that I feel is, like, really well made, like, awesome. But I don't think, like, that's not something, like, I'm just, like, you know passing time until we until we get the real star wars again like no. for me it's like i just i i want to know what's what's next what's different what's uh you know i'm you know i i kind of know like what my tastes are um within within star wars at this point because there is a lot of different stuff out there now and i think i've found you know kind of what works for me but it's also like the things i've found that work for me are things that i would have never expected so like i want that next unexpected thing rather than like the thing that i think i know i'll like but isn't always the case yeah 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 i want yeah i mean i I want stuff that i'm not expecting too for sure Um, but I will say as we move towards wrapping up, I think we should move Mm -hmm. towards wrapping up here. Uh, I will say though that like, I don't care about like, and and in fact, you, you, I think you were making a similar point a few minutes ago. Like, I don't care what planet it is. I don't want to memorize the, there's definitely Star Wars fans that are very, and God bless them if that's what they're into, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of Star Wars fans that are (laughs) really into, yeah, me too in a way, although I still can't, but anyway, uh, I want to know that the first and last name of every Star Wars character you know mm-hmm. and whereas i'm like man when you start throwing around the first name of some obscure character that like their name was never sh- said on screen or anything it's like mm-hmm. i mean more power to you but also like i'm already starting to think maybe we care about different things when it comes to star wars or we like star wars oh, yeah. for different well, reasons because like i don't yeah. even memorize all this stuff i don't so anyway like long story short i'm trying to say mm-hmm. like the lore of star wars is not what i care about so like mm-hmm. oh well it's set in this universe but it's something that's like totally different than like what star wars started out to be at a certain point i do have like a concern that like and that's okay nothing not everything has to be for me but at a certain point it's like if it doesn't have some of the the principles or some of the unique ingredients of what star wars started out as or like what what made star wars star wars in the first place you know at a certain point to me it's going to be like well it has all the it all has all the 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 drapings and and appearances of star Mm -hmm. wars and you know like it's in that universe or whatever but like that's the only thing that that feels authentic but the only thing that, that about it that that feels connected to like what drew me in and made me love star wars in the first place then at that point i don't think i'll care you know what i mean um mm-hmm. other people will care and so that's fine for them and that that's okay but like to me i'm just saying what i personally care about is like not super tangible it's not like yeah the it's not the location it's not the, the names of the characters it's not the lore it's not the canon you know what i mean it's definitely none mm-hmm. of that stuff it's not super tangible i guess what it is but like i need 
I want to see it stretched. I want to see them go in different directions. They are going Mm -hmm. in different directions. They are stretching it. And I enjoy that, but like, I feel like it still needs to emanate for me anyways, from somewhere, some intangible star Warsiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I think like star Wars has always been a vehicle to tell, um, like deeply human stories in like this ridiculous, uh, uh, you know, galaxy and, you know, with all this ridiculous stuff like happening and the, the way it looks and the way it sounds and everything. Um, but like the looks and the sounds like those have, those have all changed. Um, but I think like as long as you're telling stories rooted in humanity and it doesn't necessarily have to be the best parts of humanity. Like they just have to be like human stories um, in this, you know, elevated um, scope and uh, aesthetic. And that's like going back to what I was saying earlier about Damon Lindelof is like, he's someone that I trust to be able to tell a human story. Um, And again, it may not be like about, you know, the best humanity has to offer, Um, but it's still like, yes, this is, this is rooted in the human experience in a really authentic way that like you could feel on screen, which I think is what like Andor is excelling at um, right now. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I agree. And I think that's a pretty good uh, kind of place to, to end uh, and wrap up this conversation, unless there was anything else you wanted to, to talk about as far as Damon Lindelof's star Wars movie. I think I've, I think I've said it all with the information we have right now. Yeah. So I am excited to see, to someday see a star Wars movie again, like in a movie theater. I'm excited for that. I I would like that that, too. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's always a fun time, but, uh, let's, uh, let's wrap that, uh, the, the, let's wrap this episode mm-hmm, here, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so, um, we will be back next week, I think, cause I have a feeling, um, this next episode of Andor is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty great. So I think we'll mm-hmm. be back next week to talk about Andor <laughs> episode 10. It likely will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they all have been I so mean, far. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, but just ending the the ending episode nine with no more than twelve, like, and I cannot mm-hmm. wait to see the next episode. Um, but yeah, so we'll be back next week with another episode of the Blockade Runner Podcast. Until then, you can follow um, everything we've done, find our old shows, blog posts, etc. at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. If you have thoughts on Andor or on Damon Lindelof and future Star Wars movies, what makes Star Wars Star Wars, any of those things. Uh, or Star Wars in general, just um, you can email us blockade runner podcast at gmail.com or you can message the show on Twitter at blockade run, at least for now, anyway. Ryan, you are on Twitter uh, for now, <laughs> yeah. anyway, at you know, at, at the very cool and sustainable place that's going to exist forever called Twitter um, at via Malay, V A Y A M A L A Y. All right, so uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic.